Amen. Church, you sounded beautiful this morning with your singing. And for those of us that have truly been redeemed, I, I believe that you'll agree with me to, to know that how beautiful of a position that is for us that have been redeemed. But we also know that in this process of life that we've got a lot of work that still needs to be done in our lives. And so while we've been redeemed, while we've been purchased by the blood of the Lamb, while we've been forever forgiven of our sins, and while all of our sin has been credited to Jesus and all of His righteousness has been credited to our account, we now know that we have a long road of this sanctification work that needs to happen in our lives to get us to be a true reflection of the characteristics of our Lord. And I think that you'll see a beautiful connection today from the message from those of you that are participating within our Bible study groups uh, from, from your conversations today as well. That's why I want to start. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to James chapter 4. As you're going there, I just want to read a small little section from Ephesians 4. Because it says there, Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Then he says, with all humility, gentleness, with patience, and that word patience literally translates as long-tempered. How many, how many short-tempered individuals do we have here? He says to be long-tempered, and he says bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I think you're going to see the connection to what Paul has to say to what James is addressing in, in James chapter 4. And we're going to cover a massive section today of two verses. <laughs> but there's so much here in verse 11 and 12. The fact of the matter is that we live in a very tolerant society that we're supposed to just accept all things and all people and don't you dare speak out against anyone or anything it's as though the, the phrase don't judge me has come to mean don't you dare criticize me and my lifestyle no matter how ungodly it happens to be what i love about james's writing is that he's not afraid to call sin by its name He's not afraid to call sin for what it is, nor is he afraid to condemn it strongly. The reality is, neither should we be afraid. We shouldn't be afraid to call sin for what it is. We shouldn't be afraid to condemn it when it's necessary. We shouldn't be afraid to be condemned ourselves for speaking up for the truth. We shouldn't be afraid of being labeled as being you know, extreme or, or narrow-minded. However, in speaking about sin and in addressing uh, concerns in life, we must do so with love and with grace. And so when we speak out against sin in our brothers and sisters, or if we speak out against sin in our, in our neighbors, our goal should be to help move them towards repentance not to, to make us feel superior to them. And James is going to unpack all of this in our text this morning. 
And while this section may appear to have little connection within the immediate context in which we see it, I assure you that it's completely in line with James's call for us to walk in humility and for us to walk with single-minded devotion unto God. What he has to say in these two verses falls completely in line with his warnings that he gave us already in chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. His warning about anger. He gives us the warning about favoritism in, verse, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. He gives us the warning about cursing in chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. He gives us the warning at the very beginning of this chapter about fighting with one another. And so having humbly received mercy from God, we are in turn to, to show mercy towards one another. And God does not speak evil against His children, nor should His children speak evil about one another. And so let's look at what His Word has to say to us this morning. We're going to go phrase by phrase today. And so beginning in verse number 11, He says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Now there's a beautiful word that he comes back to. Now he's calling brothers. So now he, he returns to his normal greeting to, to his recipients, uh, identify them as his brothers. He went through some harsh criticism to them. And, and, I mean, it's a far cry from when he called them adulteresses in, in verse number four, or when he uh, identified them as being sinners and, and double minded in, in verse number eight. And so, so James is transitioning. He goes from harsh criticism still to strong words of, of encouragement and, and correction. And I want you to notice what his command is. His command is direct. It's to the point. He says, do not speak evil against one another. Let's pause there. and Let's unpack that if we can for a moment. What does it truly mean to speak evil against one another? Speaking evil means a whole lot. Speaking evil includes criticizing someone. It includes backbiting. It includes gossiping about someone. It includes grumbling against another person. Speaking evils, talking uh, when we talk about or, or when we seek to tear down another person that's speaking evil against them. When we share things about a person that cut them or hurt them, that's speaking evil against the person. When we say things that lower the image and the reputation of another person, that's guilty of, of speaking evil against another person. I think the word that most likely gets translated from this is this word called slander. Now, Slander is a, a legal term today. And you slander somebody when you lie about someone and you, and you ruin their reputation. But the term that's being used here is much broader than our understanding of the word slander. This phrase, speaking evil, literally means to speak against or to talk down about a person. Which means that you could, don't necessarily have to tell a lie to speak against a person, you can tell the truth about a person and still be guilty of speaking evil against the person. So the command here forbids any speech, whether it's true 
or whether it's false, it, can, it forbids any speech which seeks to ruin or damage another person. I believe believers, fellow Christ followers, I think we understand, yeah, of course, we should never slander someone. We should never lie about someone intending to, to harm them or damage their, their reputation. But I think James goes beyond that and gives us an even more penetrating challenge, and that is to refrain from any speaking about a person which intends to run them down even if what you said is true. I mean, let's be honest. Like, my dad was right when he said, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Good job, Pops. He got that one. Nailed that one. And it's, it's as simple as that. And most people think it's, it's okay if you share negative information about someone just as long as that information is true. I mean, we understand that lying is wrong, but we fail to understand that just because you know something that's true doesn't mean that you need to be sharing that with other people. Just because it's true doesn't mean it needs to be spoken. And so, the exhortation that, that James gives is strong. He says, uh, believers, we're not to speak evil against one another. And the reason is clear. And the reason is, look, we're family. We're brothers. We're, we're, we're connected to each other because of our faith in Jesus Christ. And because we're family, then we should be loving one another. We should be caring for each other. We should be looking after each other, not looking for opportunities to destroy someone. I mean, we're family that should be supporting each other. Building each other up. Not trying to tear somebody down in the moment of sin. In the moment of their struggle. When one of us falls, and we're going to. When one of us gets in trouble, then the family should be there to encourage, to support, to help pick up, to walk alongside, to make sure that they get back on the right path of godly living. And when we criticize a brother or sister in Christ, then we are literally guilty of speaking evil against a child of God. Think about that. Think about the truth of that. When we're speaking evil about someone, we're speaking evil about a son or daughter of the Most High God. I mean, that thought alone should keep our mouths restrained. But far too often, it doesn't. So why? Why do we get so wrapped up in it? Why do we get so wrapped up into talking bad about other people or to be overly critical and harsh or, or cruel in talking about something? Why is it that when we see someone struggle or we hear about their sin, why is it that we tend to delight in sharing that news with other people? I mean, what's wrong with us? Why is it that we're so prone to criticism? I'm not really sure I have all the answers. I know I don't have all the answers. But I'd like to give you four potential reasons. I'll do this real fast. Four potential reasons on why we tend to enjoy criticism. 
Number one, criticism tends to to boost. For some of us, it boosts our self-image. When we're able to put someone else's failures or, 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 or tear someone up because of their shortcomings, whenever, whenever we're able to highlight that in someone else, then it has a tendency to, to make us feel somewhat better about ourselves, if that's even possible. So sometimes we engage in this overcritical spirit uh, in order to, to boost our own self-image. Sometimes criticism is just enjoyed. There, there, there's, there's this tendency in the human nature to take delight in sharing the, the, the juicy bit of information that you might come across. And as sick and twisted as that is, the simple reality is sometimes we're guilty of being characterized with criticism because we like sharing that information. It makes us feel good for whatever reason that is. I have no idea. Criticism, for some, helps us to justify the decisions that we have made and the things that we have done. We have a tendency to try to rationalize our actions and our behaviors by pointing out the shortcomings in others, and, and by comparison, then, then we don't seem to be as bad. And then finally, number four, criticism is often an outlet for the hurt and for revenge. We might feel as though the person that's on the receiving end of that criticism deserves it. Subconsciously, if not consciously, uh, we've made the decision, well, they've hurt me or they've hurt someone that I know and someone that I love. They've hurt me in the past, so I'm going to take the opportunity to uh, give a little bit of the hurt back into their lives. So, So let me ask you something. When, when we see the command, do not speak evil against one another, is James's command only for the 12 tribes that are scattered in the dispersion? Does, the, does that command go beyond just the 12 tribes in dispersion, and does it reach and, and, and make its way to us today? The answer is, of course it does. The, 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 this is a message for us, and we better pay attention Because after all, we are skillful in the rationalization of our corrosive speaking. We've all done it. And many of us continue to do it. Sometimes we bite. And sometimes we're the ones that get bitten by the words of other people. And so God's Word comes to us today with equal force and application. He says, do not speak evil against others. One another, brothers. And then look at the next phrase. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother, we'll stop there. So in order to help clarify what James is saying here, it's helpful to understand what James is not saying here. James is not saying that as believers, we're never to make judgmental decisions or declarations about other things or about other people. He's not saying that at all. James is not saying that as believers, we have no right or no authority to speak the truth to other people about sin 
That's not what he's saying at all. I'm telling you, the go-to passage for many people who say it's none of our business, we should live and let live, who am I to say anything to anyone about sin or anything, the go-to passage for individuals is Matthew chapter 7, verse number 1. And there Jesus declares, do not judge, or you too will be judged. But for so many people, they just take out verse 1, and they don't look any further into what Jesus has to say. And so they falsely interpret Jesus' words to mean that if you dare make a, a judgmental decision about another person or another thing, then you are going to get in big trouble from God. But to neglect to, uh, to read this verse in its full context is a, is a huge disservice because what Jesus is actually saying, is he, he's, he's directing this to people who are overlooking the gross sins in their own lives in order to nitpick the sins in other people. Some of you have this look that you're like, what? So instead of just taking my word, let's look at it real fast. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Don't you see it in its entirety? Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. Then notice what Jesus says. He says, first, take out the log of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You see that? He didn't say you can't do it. He said, you're a hypocrite. You got this big, gigantic sin in your own life. First address that. Deal with that before you try to go to someone else and help pull them out of the sin that they're caught up in. And so Jesus does not forbid judgment. Rather, what he forbids is for flagrant sinners to exercise judgment while refusing to deal with the sin that's in their own lives. I'd argue that it is our Christian duty to exercise judgment. For example, it goes on in, in chapter 7, verse number 15. Uh, we're commanded to beware of false prophets. Well, well, how can we determine if someone is a false prophet? Except by judging what they say and what they do and with the Word of God. So in order to, to rightly recognize a, a, a false teacher, then we have to exercise careful judgment and discernment about what they're teaching and about how they're living. It goes on to say in chapter 7, verse 24 of John, Jesus says, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with the right judgment. What Jesus is condemning is this harsh, uh, self-righteous type of judgment. But what he's calling for us is to, to exercise a moral and, and theological discernment or judgment 
and then to rightly apply that. And so I believe that what Scripture is forbidding isn't the act of judging. I think what it's forbidding is this uh, judgmentalism. And judgmentalism is this hypercritical spirit that seeks to judge and condemn everyone and everything while always refusing to stop and evaluate their own lives and, and their own actions. It is this unkind, judgmental spirit that James attacks in verse number 11. Judgments can and should be made. I mean, come on, after all, James himself, he just called his readers adulteresses and enemies of God. He had to make some judgmental decision in order to make that statement. So it's not wrong to rebuke others for their actions if it's done out of love, if it's done with a whole lot of grace, and if it's done with the, the hope and with the purpose of trying to lead them to repentance and restoration. I want you to notice what happens when we judge wrongly. Look at verse 11 again. The one who speaks against the brother or judges his brother, then it says speaks evil against the law and judges the law. Now that the law here, I, I think it's highly likely that what James had in mind here was the royal law. The law of loving your neighbor as, as yourself. And after all, he referred to the royal law back in James chapter 2, verse number 8. For those of you that are unfamiliar, the royal law of loving your neighbor as yourself is found in Leviticus 19, verse number 18. I just think that's what he has in mind here because, again, look, look at the end of, of verse number 12. Uh, at the end, I think that's why he uses neighbor instead of the word brother in, in verse number 12. But, but what does all of this mean? How is speaking evil against someone the equivalent of speaking evil against the law? Well, first you've got to understand that there's a law, there's a command that forbids us from speaking evil against one another. It's found throughout Scripture. I'll give you some references for those of you that, that like to take notes. Leviticus 19, verse number 16. You'll find it forbidden in Psalm chapter 50, verse number 20. Psalm 101, verse number 5. Romans chapter 1, verse number 30. Man, I love you that, that write this stuff down. Because you shouldn't just automatically accept something to be true just because I say it. Romans chapter 1, verse 30. You should investigate it. And make sure that what you hear and what you're receiving is in accordance to the Word of God. A couple of more. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 20. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 1. Throughout their Scripture, we're commanded that we are not to, to speak evil or slander one another. And when we carve up a, with our words a brother or sister in Christ, then we're guilty of breaking that law. But we're guilty of so much more. We're actually suggesting that we know better than the God who gave us the law. 
In fact, we're saying when we break that law, what we're saying is that that law shouldn't even be a law. At least that law doesn't apply to me. I mean, think about it in terms like this. If I go speeding through a construction zone, I am essentially saying that the people in authority who established the law to lower the speed limit, I'm essentially saying they had no clue what they were doing. And I know what's better for me, not the people that are in authority. So I'll drive at whatever speed I want to without respect to the law or the authority that's in place. And so what I have done is I have positioned myself above the law. And that's the way the law works. You either submit to the law or you seat yourself above the law. And so when we speak critically about someone, what we're saying is the law that they broke, the sin that they committed, oh, that's a serious sin. That's one that we should talk about. That's the one that, let me tell you all about it. But the law that I'm breaking by, by, by doing that, that law of love that calls me to speak kindly and lovingly and be long patient with people, well, that law, that doesn't really apply to this situation. I'm good. We're picking and choosing which laws are important and which laws are not. We're elevating ourselves above the law. And so clearly God's Word tells us to be very careful with our words. And if we're going to speak out against someone, then we must come from a place of deep, deep humility. In fact, if I could, let me just give you one reason why. It's so important for us to keep the posture of humility. And that's just a a reality check, if I could. Every person, every person in this room, we all fail. We all mess up. We all struggle. We all fall down from time to time. I mean, can we just be honest and say that we all still sin? This past week, how many of you sinned this past week? Raise your hand. Yeah, cool. And for those that didn't raise your hand, you're a sinner right now. <laughs> so we're all level. We're all there. There's not a perfectly righteous one among us. Like, we've got to get that, Right? We're all going to make mistakes. Now, this isn't to excuse our sin. It's just helping us to understand who we are. And so we're all going to fail. We're all going to mess up. You're going to mess up. I'm going to mess up. The person next to you is going to mess up. I mean, you might have screwed up yesterday. I might mess up today. Your neighbor might mess up this afternoon or tomorrow. But the reality is, like, we're all, we're, we're just struggling in this life, and we're trying to do the best that we can, or we ought to be trying to do the best that we can. And when I sin, when I mess up, here's what I want. I want people that will love me that will come and encourage me that will support me that will see the sin in me and say David can we talk I'm seeing this this isn't good how can I help you I don't want somebody to take my sin and to get in this unholy huddle with other people and say hmm, do you know what the pastor just did you believe that the pastor had the audacity he still didn't shake my hand he still hasn't given me a hug 
He didn't show up to my house because he was supposed to know that he was supposed to be there. Because not that I called him, not that I asked for it, but that he's just supposed to have this intuition that he should go to some place at a certain time. And he didn't do that for me. Like, I'm going to mess up. I'm not perfect. I'm far from it. So are you. I love you. I hope that you'll love me. And this is supposed to be a safe place. A place where we can come together in our imperfections and to be surrounded by one another with love and encouragement. This isn't supposed to be the place where we get together and we do this gossip and talk about other people to tear them down. It's just wrong. And it has no place in the church. And so out of loving kindness, we're to help one another. We're to encourage each other. We're not to use someone's sin or someone's struggle as an opportunity to tear them down. When a brother or sister fails, then we should be there to help pick them up. Not to kick them down. Let's continue. Look, look at the, how verse 11 ends. It says, but if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. I think we could be honest when we say that it's so much easier to see evil speaking in others than it is to have to admit the guilt in ourselves. It's a, as if we decided that this law against slander or this law against evil speaking applies to everyone else, but, but not for, for, for me. And when we act this way, then what we've done is we've elevated ourselves above the law. And so we're not keeping the law. We're not being doers of the word that James calls us to be in James chapter 1, verse number 22. But rather, we're sinning in judgment upon the law. We're saying that law doesn't apply to us. And talk about a prideful position to place ourselves in. Because look at, look at verse 12. There's only one lawgiver and judge. Which means there's only one who is above the law. God is the one lawgiver and the one judge. So God not only authored the law, God also administrates the law. And so God alone serves as the executive and the judicial branches of his divine government. And he doesn't need our help. God is king. He institutes and he declares his law. And so God is king and God is judge where he upholds and enforces his law. So there is one author of the law, God. There is one judge over the law, God. And praise be to God that there's but one Savior from the law's condemnation, and that is Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say, like there's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. These truths would have been well known by James's Jewish readers. 
and by reminding them of these truths, he's actually rebuking them of their self-righteous attitudes and their judgmental actions. And notice how verse number 12 ends with the question, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Uh, James concludes this section, these two verses, with a rhetorical question that is extremely powerful. And perhaps the thing that we need to carry away from this section is the question, but who are you to have this judgmental attitude towards your neighbor? To be harsh and critical and cruel with your words. You might put it in these words. Who do you think you are? To love each other. To be patient with each other long-suffering, with great humility. We're to forgive each other. How often are we to forgive? Every stinking time we forgive. May we be a people that will walk in the love and the grace of our Father. May with our words we seek to build people up and not tear them down. And when it becomes necessary to address sin, in our lives, or to help to address it in the lives of someone else, may we do so with the utmost of humility. May God help us, because it's only with the help of the Holy Spirit that we can ever do any of this in a right way. May God be pleased by what he sees in us. In just a moment, I'm going to close this with a word of prayer. We're going to sing through an invitation song And I'm just curious if I might invite you today to come and to to kneel at the altar in the front of the stage and spend some time confessing that sin unto God. If you have a tendency to be extremely critical and judgmental towards other people, I invite you to come and to confess that to God and ask Him to to change your words and to change the way you think and, and, and talk about others whatever sin that's in your life, I ask that you just take the time to address, identify it, confess and repent from it. We're always up here at the front. I'm here. Joel and Catherine will be here. Daryl and Lisa will be up here. We'd love to be able to pray with you if you'd like for us to, but you don't have to come to us. We do invite that you take that posture of prayer right now, wherever you're at. If you want to come to the front or if you just want to do it right there. Just deal with whatever God's telling you to do in this moment. And may he be pleased by what he sees and how we respond to his word today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time and for this church. May your spirit move among us right here and right now. And Father, may you be glorified by what you see in our response to your word. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.